0: Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, certified coach, Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine, looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello, welcome to episode 26, which means I have now been doing this for six months. It's crazy. When I decided I wanted to do coach certification, I wasn't totally sure how I was going to put my coaching to work, but I was certain of two things. One, I never wanted to start my own business, and two, I never wanted a podcast. But how times change. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to use coaching to reach academic physicians impacted by burnout and help them level up, but I hadn't yet formulated any sort of concrete plan on exactly how I was going to reach them. But the further I got into my training, the more I realized that this was probably the way to go. So here we are. And along those lines, the more ratings and especially reviews I get, the easier it is for people who might be interested in my content to find me. So if you have a minute, and I know you have a minute because you're all so good with your time management now, please leave me a rating and especially a review. Future clients will thank you. Okay, so... One of the biggest misconceptions that we have in medicine is that some people are just naturally confident people, and this makes them able to do things. That confidence makes people be able to put themselves up for promotion or go for stretch goals or do the big scary things. If we're speaking in really broad strokes, in very gross generalizations, in the United States, men, specifically cisgender men, tend to display this more than women, and white men more than people of color. But what we're really talking about when we are describing these qualities is self-confidence, not confidence. Why am I making this distinction? Just to be pedantic? Well, I, I do actually love being pedantic, but really I'm bringing it up because knowing the difference and where each one comes from can be really useful. With that in mind. While I'm going to be very specific in today's episode, I'm sure I have in the past and will in the future use the two terms interchangeably. But just for today, we're going to be specific. And by the way, anytime I hear or read the word confidence, I cannot help but hear um, the song from The Sound of Music um, playing in my head. So if you didn't already have Julie Andrews singing in your head, you're welcome. Okay, so confidence comes from having already done or accomplished something. You do the thing, and then you know you can do it because you already did it. Then the next time it comes around, you have confidence that you can do it. I'm confident I can teach a resident how to do a cesarean because I've been teaching residents for nearly two decades, and I've done it umpteen times myself. I'm confident I can tie my shoes. I'm confident I can drive my car. Self-confidence is believing or trusting that you have the ability, capability, or tenacity needed to try something. This is the force that allows you to try new things, especially the big and scary ones. If someone has no self-confidence, if they have no belief in their own abilities, they're generally not gonna bother trying. Now, self-confidence may or may not include believing you will succeed at the things you're trying. That part is not a necessity. In fact, people who have a lot of self-confidence actually have a pretty high tolerance for failing. They know that failure is part of trying new things, especially things with a steep learning curve. They believe in their own ability to try and try again. Think of Michael Jordan saying how many free throws you have to miss before getting the muscle memory to sink even one. And I heard on another podcast one time that it takes about 11 hours to learn how to ride a unicycle, which means the first 10 hours and 45 minutes are all falling down. The person who's attempting to learn how to ride a unicycle doesn't have confidence yet, but they definitely have self-confidence because how on earth would you keep up attempts for that long otherwise? Well, if confidence comes from having done the thing, what about self-confidence? Where does that come from? Yes it is definitely an innate quality. The amount that one naturally has varies drastically from person to person. We know that some of it's influenced by environment, upbringing, the amount of privilege one has, things like that. Having high self-confidence and high self-esteem often go hand in hand but not always. The good news is that self-confidence is definitely something that you can cultivate. I actually think it's a lot easier to build your self-confidence than to build self-esteem. Sometimes there's a little bit of an uphill battle building self-confidence until you can figure out the difference between that and arrogance. I think that many of us, especially women, have been conditioned to think that they're the same thing. And since arrogance is pretty clearly defined in negative terms, arrogance is a bad thing. Well, if you think arrogance and self-confidence are the same thing, It's a pretty natural barrier to developing your own self-confidence. I mean, who would want to cultivate an offensive trait? So first and foremost, we need to call out the the difference. Self-confidence is a beautiful, positive thing. It means I believe in myself and my abilities. Only good things can come of self-confidence. It's pure. It's clean. Arrogance comes from judgment. Arrogance is I'm better than you. Arrogance can be a desire to pull others down to your level or to falsely elevate yourself above others. Arrogance comes from insecurity. People who are actually self-confident are not arrogant. They don't need to be. The interplay between confidence and self-confidence is a little bit of a chicken-and-egg scenario. The foundation for our self-confidence is laid in childhood by our parents, parental figures, teachers, coaches, and teammates for those who do sports. Anyone who encourages us and tells us to try, anyone who ever says you can do it to you, is contributing to your self-confidence foundation. But then, when you become an older child, a teenager, an adult, you have to build it up further and maintain it yourself. Some people reach adulthood with great skills for this, and some don't. If you happen to be one of those people that this doesn't come naturally to, don't worry, there is nothing wrong with you. It also doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with your childhood, either. It doesn't mean that people didn't encourage you enough when you were a kid. It's just that we're all completely unique, and people don't turn out the same way. But whatever level or skills you have, the interplay goes like this. We've already discussed the part about building confidence. Your self-confidence allows you to try the thing, and then having done the thing gives you confidence. The second part of it is that the confidence you gain from having tried and succeeded, or even from trying and failing, boosts your self-confidence. Okay, so now you might be thinking, but wait, if I'm someone who doesn't naturally have a lot of self-confidence, and the way you build it up is by doing things, but you need self-confidence first to make yourself do the things, how is that supposed to work? Well, the answer is that you have done things. You just need to remind yourself, you do hard things all the time. A couple of weeks ago, there was this thing going around Twitter, people saying, you're a doctor, I whispered to myself as I recite righty-tighty lefty-loosey so I can open a jar. Things like that. I loved it. It was supposed to be self-effacing. Obviously, make fun of ourselves for being allegedly very smart, but having something very simple that you just can't master. But the message behind the joke is a good one. If you're facing something you think is hard, give yourself a pep talk. For the doctors out there, graduating from medical school is something that should always make you confident. Think of all the hard work you put in for all those years, all the studying, all the tests. You did all of those things. Now, I know, not everyone listening is a doctor, but this gives you an idea of a place to start. And also, I'm not talking about Stuart Smalley looking in his mirror and saying, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. First of all, that kind of pep talk, it just does not appeal to me at all. Second of all, that's really more for self-esteem than self-confidence. For self-confidence, here are some example thoughts. Try them out, revise them, pick ones that work for you. First and foremost, my favorite, I do hard things all the time. I have enough stamina to get through medical school and residency, therefore I know I have the stamina for X. I'm not afraid of hard work. I can survive failure. That last one is a really important one. I hope you've all had at least one spectacular failure in your life, because we need these. Surviving failures is how you become resilient. It's really helpful to be able to tell yourself, I can survive failure, and I know this because I didn't succeed at X the first time I tried, but I tried it again until I got it. Now, there's a sweet spot for the right amount of failure too much and it's easy to feel beaten down and demoralized. Too little and you never learn the skills to pick yourself up and try again. Do you know one of those people who just seems to have floated through life and everything comes easily to them? Well, when they have their first failure, it is a whopper. Another skill that can help when you're working on self-confidence is finding out what stories you're telling yourself that are sabotaging you. Here's an example for me. I have a little bit of social anxiety, not anything major, but enough that if I'm in an unfamiliar situation, my natural reaction is to become nervous. Like walking into a casual sit-down restaurant and it's not completely obvious right away, do you go up and order or do you seat yourself or do you wait and someone's gonna seat you? Like, how does this work? This is the kind of ridiculous thing that can make me feel nervous. But instead of just telling myself that's ridiculous, I break it down to figure out why. My thought is something like, I'm going to be embarrassed because I don't know how to do this right. That thought makes me feel nervous. The nervous energy makes me think about how everyone is staring at me. And if I do it wrong, I'll be so embarrassed and people will think I'm dumb. So I freeze. I hope someone else will come in so I can copy them. I do nothing to help myself. And the result, of course, is that I still don't know how this works because I didn't give myself the chance to find out. So this story was concocted by my brain in an attempt to save me from feeling embarrassed, but it definitely doesn't achieve that. In fact, it pretty near guarantees it, because I'm exaggerating the situation. I mean, I know it's funny, especially because it's such a silly thing, but that's a very real and valid reason that I get nervous, and luckily for me, I know how to change how I think. So now when I recognize that I'm getting nervous, I just remind myself I'm not in third grade. It's okay to just ask a question. I just walk up to the first official looking person I find and say, hey, I've never been here before. Do I wait to be seated? How does this work? Done. Nine times out of 10, the person is very helpful. And the one time they aren't, no big deal because sometimes people are jerks. And I know that if I get embarrassed, guess what? It passes quickly and I don't die of it. So this is obviously a very trivial example, but I think it illustrates the point. Before you can work on the story you want to believe, you have to really figure out what story you're currently believing and why. And remember, there's no judgment here. These are just thoughts. It's not you. You're not defined by it. Last point, and this is especially important for those of us in academic medicine. We have the power to help build self-confidence in those we train. This is something I don't think I do enough of, and it's a constant goal of mine as an educator and a mentor. So you know how we started by pointing out that the foundation for your self-confidence comes from your childhood? Well, that doesn't mean it ends in adulthood. As an adult, you do have to choose what you accept and incorporate and what you ignore, but it sure does help to have some positive input to work with. Sometimes it's the obvious way, telling someone, yes, you can, I know you can do this. Sometimes it's almost the opposite. It's knowing when to say, no, I won't help you with this because you don't need my help. One of my favorite stories is from a resident who graduated several years ago. We still keep in touch. I don't actually remember when this happened, but she does. So it was close to her graduation. We were doing a cesarean. The baby was preterm and tiny, and the extraction was challenging. She gave one brief attempt and said, I can't do it. I need you to do it. And I said, no. And then she immediately got the baby out as I knew she would. Now, to be very clear, I would never jeopardize patient safety. It was that I knew in the moment that all she needed was a little boost of self-confidence. This became a memory that she could relive when she was a new attending in private practice and having a moment of doubt. Remember that one time I thought I couldn't do it, but I really could. I just have to keep on trying. And it would have been even better if I had kind of noticed what I was doing in the moment and drawn attention to it. That's something that we can try to do for our trainees to boost their confidence slash self-confidence loops up a notch. All right, that's it for today. Thanks to all of you who've made this so fun. Six months seems like nothing. I will see you next time. opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.